Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. This is the word of God. Good morning, Christ Community Church. It is a joy and honor to be here with you this morning. And as we come to this text, um, I just want to confess to you, as I've been praying and preparing for this moment, I feel the weight of of this message and particularly God's desire for us to be encouraged in this place today and challenged to draw nearer to him. Uh, And because of this, I I want to go ahead and tell you right up front what I want you to be looking for as we walk through this passage. I think there are three foundational truths that we're going to see. One, we will see that God is utterly sovereign. He is completely in control. Two, we will see that evil is real. Darkness is real. And yet, it is limited. Its power is not ultimate. And finally, we will see God reveals himself through judgment and grace. And this is most clearly seen through Jesus Christ on the cross. So as we walk through this text today, I I pray, if nothing else, these three truths would be elevated and you would be encouraged and challenged to draw nearer to God in this time. I look at our text and I see it is a pivotal turning point in the narrative of the Exodus story. We can look at the passage just before us in Exodus chapter 6, 
verses 14 through 28 and see this genealogy, which indicates this point. Why? Because what Moses does with this genealogy is he draws the reader to look back to what God has already done in calling his people. And then also draws the reader to look forward to what he is doing through establishing the lineage of Aaron and Moses. We can look at this text and see immediately following it is the beginning of the plagues. A famous story in which we see is the catalyst for the actual Exodus event. And as I was reading this text, uh, I just felt God gave me a burden to to give us a warning here. It, It could be easy because of this to look at this text as a transitional passage and just kind of fly right on by. Maybe want to jump ahead to the good stuff, as it were. But these verses are anything but that. God, as we've already said, reveals foundational truths about himself, life, and the underlying purpose of the entire Exodus. Which, as we've said, is God's name being known. God glorifying himself through his judgment and his grace. So before we dive into this text one more time, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. Let's take a moment to soften our hearts to his word through prayer. I'll give you a moment to pray to yourself and then I'll close this out in prayer. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your servant Moses and the encouragement we see through the progress of his life. God, thank you that you are more powerful than Pharaoh and the powers of the world. And God, I pray today you would help our hearts to treasure your word that we may not sin against you and let us soak in these words and come before you and bow at the foot of the cross and say, you are worthy, God. May be magnified in what takes place here, God. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts and minds to know and believe. I pray in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we see and we pick up this passage, it is a continuation of the story we've been hearing for the last few weeks. And Six chapter 6, verses 26 through 30, it gives us a little bit of a summary of what we're getting into. It says, On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord, Yahweh. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? As we come to this passage, it is a good reminder and summary for us to remember what Moses has just gone through. If we remember the earlier in chapter 6, Moses was a reluctant servant of God. And reluctantly, he does follow God to go to Pharaoh, and it does not go so well. Pharaoh does not listen to Moses and it says, you know what, since you've got so much extra time, why don't I give you more work? We'll make the burden of the Israelites even heavier. 
And so then Moses leaves and he goes and he tries to follow God to go to the people of Israel. And when he gets to the people of Israel, they don't listen to him because of the heavy burden of their work and their slavery. And so Moses, rejected by Pharaoh and rejected by his own people once again, returns dejected and discouraged to God. But at least this time we see, as Chauncey reminds us, that he takes his frustration to God. He takes his complaint to God, and God was so gracious to remind Moses who he is and what his calling for Moses is. Do you see it? He says, I am the Lord Yahweh. You will go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. How does Moses respond? Well, once more, he responds with an excuse. He says, I am a man of uncircumcised lips. I'm just not very good, God. Just as, as we've seen revealed through the rest of the text, Moses is just basically saying, you know, God, please just send someone else. Right. I tried. It didn't work out. Things got worse. Clearly, I'm not the right guy. Then we get to our passage today. And the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. We look at these verses and see God's affirmation of his servant and of his people and of his divine plan. If you look to the text, I think in verses 1 through 7, we see God's affirmation of his servant, of his people, and of his divine plan. And then what we will see in the back half of the text, verses 8 through 13, God's confirmation of his servants, of his people, and of his divine plans. And so we see here Moses is offered his excuse, and God responds graciously to say, Moses, I affirm you, I have given you all that you need. You will be my messenger. You will be my ambassador. You will be my representative to Pharaoh. God is working and has graciously chosen Moses. After all the doubts, after all the questions, all the hesitation, God still chooses to use Moses. And not only that, do you see what God does? He meets Moses right at his point of need. Moses has said, God, over and over, I don't, I can't speak. I don't want to do this. I don't have the, the tongue to go and to be your mouthpiece. And so what does God say specifically right to him? He says, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. I've given you all you need, but just in case you doubt, I will give you Aaron to go to be the speaker for you. Moses, you thought you couldn't speak. Well, here you go. You have a speaker. What grace we see here. God doesn't need Moses. But in his divine wisdom, he chooses to use him. And just to think on this, Moses, we know, is far from perfect. And yet God uses him as his representative and says, you will be like God to Pharaoh. As we think about this today, I was just reflecting on this passage and, and thought, you know, 
Is anyone here else feel uh, recognized they are imperfect? Anyone feel imperfect? Anyone feel flawed at times? Anybody feel like they tried to do what's right and they just made things worse? Well, if that's you, good news. Be encouraged. God uses flawed and imperfect people to accomplish his glorious works. Do you see it here? Moses is not perfect. He's far from it. Moses is flawed, and yet God continues to call him and is patient with him and uses him for his good work. God affirms Moses. And today, I think this this is so important. We see, he says, you will be like God to Pharaoh. And I just think for us today, we can read this and think, man, what a blessing for Moses. What a good deal. God's given him such a power and such authority. He's going to be like God to Pharaoh. And yet we can miss the truth and the reality that today, if you are here having confessed your sins, to God and cried out to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have that very God living within you. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you and me. What power, what authority is ours by the work of God as he's called us out and he has saved us and sets us apart for his good plans and good work. God is always working and always equips those he calls to his work. We've seen this over and over. God will not call us to something that he will not prepare us for. We see it in Aaron and Moses. We see it throughout all of scripture and we can see that in our very lives. God has given us all that we need. Through the Holy Spirit inside of us, through his word and through the church, the body of Christ, to encourage and push one another on to love and good deeds. So it is, we see, God affirms Moses and Aaron, his servants. God affirms his servants today to do his work. We look to the text, we also see that God affirms his people And his divine plans. Look back with me at verses 3 through 5. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. God reminds Moses and Aaron what he is doing through them. And then he affirms his divine plans. These first... This first verse 3 through the beginning half of 4, we see God is displaying his sovereign power. God is in control. Make no mistake, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. God already knows how it's going to play out. Pharaoh's decision is not a surprise to him. God is completely in control. And yet, what we see is that he is never the source or the cause of evil. Because he is good. He is the source and cause of all good. But he is still completely in control of his creation. 
time sits before God. He knows every outcome. He sees it before. And Pharaoh's hardness of heart is not a surprise to God. It's part of his divine plan. Do you see it here? I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. God affirms his divine plan. And he affirms his people. Look at the second part of verse 4 here. I found this. This is so encouraging to me. God uses specific language here to draw the reader to his affirmation of his people, Israel. He says, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts. This word hosts is a military term in Hebrew. God looks on his people who, let's remember, are currently enslaved and oppressed by the regime of Egypt, the power of the world at the time. And while they are still slaves, God looks on them and says, I will bring my people, my hosts, my military might. You may feel and see your reality around you says you are enslaved and impressed, but don't forget the greater reality is that you are my people, my hosts. God is evoking the language of the tribes and the ranks of Israel from Genesis. Though the people are currently slaves and oppressed in bondage, God reminds them, you are mine. And next he says, my people the children of Israel. Notice the specificity of this. My people, the children of Israel. Pharaoh, you may think these people are yours. You may claim them as your workforce and your labor. You think you have the power to hold on to them. Or to let them go. But what I'm telling you, God says, is that these are my people. My children, Israel. God affirms his divine plan and he affirms his people. And he reminds us of his graciousness. And his goodness and that he is a promise keeping God and not even Pharaoh of Egypt and all his military might can undo a single promise of the almighty God. Do you see it? My host, my people of Israel, God is saying, I am reminding you, I have covenanted myself to you through Abraham, through Isaac and through Jacob. You are my people. No work, no power of the world will undo that. God affirms his people. Look with me to verse 5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. What is this all for? God says, 
the Egyptians, Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. Earlier, the first time Moses goes to Pharaoh, he tells him who God is. And Pharaoh says, the Lord, I don't know who the Lord is. And now God makes it a point to return and say, this is what I am doing. I will make it clear. The Egyptians, Israel knows I am Yahweh. I am the covenant God. I will remind them and continue to show myself faithful. And yet also Egypt, the powers of the world will know that I am Yahweh. How will I do it? When I stretch out my hand against Egypt... And bring out the people of Israel from among them. God reveals himself through his judgment and grace. God reveals himself through his divine judgment and grace. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt... His judgment on the people of Egypt. We know, we have seen, God has already foretold what is going to take place. And we know the story after. God will bring the plagues and continue to show the people who he is. He will shut down all the powers of Egypt. He will remind them that I am Yahweh. And he brings his judgment against the rebellion and the deceit of hardness of heart of Pharaoh, who continually rejects to acknowledge God, though he's right before his face. His judgment is seen clearly through continuing through the plagues. And then we see his grace in the deliverance of his people. God delivers his people. How will the Egyptians know that I am the Lord? How will they know that I am Yahweh, the covenant God, who has attached myself to this people through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob? By the judgment, my great and mighty acts, and through my graciousness, my deliverance of my people. The fact that they are his people is an act of grace. Think back to the calling of Abraham. Abraham didn't do anything to merit this. God calls out Abraham and says, I will make you a blessing to the nations. I will make you a blessing to be a blessing. By your descendants, the whole world will know who I am. God was already at work to accomplish this good end. It didn't begin with Pharaoh. It didn't end with him either. I think we see throughout all of Scripture, God affirms his divine plan of his self-revelation through his judgment and grace. This is consistent with God's testimony. Look back, we think back to the very beginning, the fall. In the garden, Adam and Eve dwelling with God, and through sin coming in, what do we see? We see that they rebel against God and choose their own way. And God exhibits his judgment and grace. Judgment because he is holy. He is righteous. He is just. And sin and evil cannot go unpunished before him. And so there is punishment. He says there will be death. And grace. Why? Because God doesn't just crumple it all up and start over. 
grace because God says, though your work will be difficult, though you will toil in the land now by the sweat of your brow, know there will be death. I am putting you out of the garden and yet you will still live for now. And he gives them opportunity to know him. There is judgment and there is grace. God is just and he is merciful. We see this throughout the Old Testament, clearly displayed here, and we see it throughout the New Testament as well. God shows himself and reveals himself through his divine judgment and grace. And it is most clearly seen in and through Jesus Christ on the cross. Why? Because here, God's holy judgment of sin meets with his graciously taking sin upon himself so that we might receive life instead of death and he suffered the death we deserved. Why? All to the glory of his name so that Egypt will know that I am Yahweh so that all the world will know that I am God that I will bless you to be a blessing to the nations. Jesus carries out this divine purpose. We see it. The gospel calls us to recognize this truth. We are all sinners. We deserve by our sin. We have earned death. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God that he has revealed himself to us through his divine judgment and grace. And if you are here today, hear this. God is holy and righteous. Sin is not something light or trifling to him. There will be a day we see at the end of the story that all evil will be judged. It will be no more. Satan and his forces will be cast into the lake of fire and all evil will be removed. And God, God will get the praise he so deserves through those who have surrendered themselves to him, who have confessed their sin and bowed their hearts to Jesus saying, you are Lord and Savior. There is no other way to the Father but through you, Jesus. This is the foundational truth we see throughout all of Scripture. From the very beginning to the very end testifies God reveals himself through his divine judgment and divine grace. And here in this text today, he affirms this. We see he affirms his servants, he affirms his people, and he affirms his divine plans. In and through Moses and Aaron and their interaction with Pharaoh. Uh, I want to pause for just a moment and just say a word of encouragement that the Lord just continued to bring back up to my heart as we see, um, as we look at this passage in the greater context of what's happening, one thing we can be encouraged about, as I've mentioned before, but is that the progress of Moses and Aaron, right? The maturity of Moses and Aaron. 
Why should we be encouraged? Because just as we talked about, they were flawed and imperfect men like us. And yet as they walked with God, and as they continued to hear his and see his revelation of himself through his divine judgment and grace and drew closer and closer to him, they became more like him and more and more learned to trust and obey and walk in faithfulness to him. And the same is true for us today. Right? If you are struggling, if you feel like you're out and you're trying to do the work and you think, you know, I just, I, I'm not getting any, getting anywhere. I don't see progress. There's no growth. Be encouraged today. Look to the example of Moses and see it wasn't Moses that was special. Right? Moses didn't do anything, at least what we see in the scripture. There's no great change that Moses makes. All he did was continue to draw near to God. Today, if you are discouraged or if you're just feeling, man, I feel like I've grown stagnant or I just want to grow more. Hear the word be encouraged and see the example of Moses here. Draw near to God. Trust in his promises and then follow through in faithful obedience. God will bless that and draw you closer to him. As we continue through the passage, we see in the second half of the chapter, God, or in the first half, God has affirmed his servant, his people, and his plans through his words. And now we see God confirms his people, his servants, his people, and his plan through his actions. Verses 8 through 10, God sends Moses and Aaron back to Pharaoh and he tells them when the Lord, when, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a servant. God confirms his servants through actually sending them back to Pharaoh, but this time with their divine credentials. Moses and Aaron follow through in faithful obedience, and sure enough, just as God has predicted, Pharaoh wants confirmation of their divine mission. So Aaron cast down his staff and it becomes the serpent. We see God confirms his servants. But then we see God confirms his people. Though Pharaoh's magicians, we see next, are able to replicate this in some capacity, they are restrained and have no real power. How, where do I see this? Look at verse 11. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. I think we see a few things here about the nature of evil and darkness in the world. What we can recognize through this passage is that God affirms the reality of evil and darkness. It's present all throughout Scripture. We see it, and we see it here. We don't know the exact ways that the Egyptians went about it, but it is clear through some sort of sorcery and some use of demonic power, they are able to replicate what God has done. 
But what we see, I think, illustrates to us some truths that we need to remember about the reality of evil and darkness. First, do you see evil is never creative? Evil is never creative. Evil is simply a privation or perversion of that which God has made good. In this passage, as the magicians come and the demonic powers of darkness, what are they capable of doing? Merely copying that which God has already done. To a lesser degree. Evil is never creative. It has no power on its own. Saying we see that evil is limited. It is limited. God limits evil by his sovereign control. And here we see the, the evil of the magicians is limited. Why? They can't stop God's serpent. All they were able to do was add more serpents. Later when we see the next three plagues that they will be able to replicate, it's telling to me, especially with the water. When the water's turned to blood, Pharaoh turns and says, can you do the same? And they say, uh, yeah. And they turn some water to blood. And it's like, see, we can do it too. And yet the magicians are in the background. You get this feeling of like, but we didn't get rid of the blood. We just added more blood. Nothing was solved. Nothing got better. Why? Because evil is limited. And we see ultimately that evil is defeated. Evil is defeated. Do you see it here? What happens? Can you imagine being those magicians? Pharaoh in his hardness of heart refuses to see what is going on right before his very eyes. But the magicians at least probably acknowledge it at first because their staffs were swallowed up by Aaron's staff. Can't deny that. The evil of the magicians was defeated. And we see this throughout the world, throughout the testimony of Scripture. Evil is defeated. How do I know this? God said it from the very beginning. Right? He cast out Adam and Eve and he cast out the serpent. And he said, don't worry, your time is coming. You will be crushed. All throughout the story of Exodus, God continues to remind, I am Yahweh. These are my people. I am in control. Nothing takes me by surprise, and I am orchestrating all things for my name to be made known. The powers of Egypt and the evil powers to be of the world have no power over me. At every step, God defeats them. As the story moves on, we know evil is defeated. Why? Because we can look back to the cross. There God, as we've said, reveals his divine judgment and grace. And evil once for all was defeated because Jesus paid the price we could not pay. The debt of our sin was too high. And this reminds us that evil is not just out there, but evil is within. And this is why this is particularly good news for us today. Because each and every one of us have a problem with evil. Not just the evil that affects us, but the evil within us that contributes to the evil of the world. And this evil is ultimately defeated. We know the end of the story, as we've said. God will be glorified. The lamb who was slain will receive the praise worthy his name. 
And there will be no more evil. So we look to the story and see God affirming, confirming his servants, confirming his people through his displays of power and confirming his divine plans. How once again, as God predicted, Pharaoh continues in disbelief and he hardens his heart just as God predicted, confirming his divine plans. God is totally in control. God is working all things for his good end. We see him affirm and confirm his servants, his people, and his divine plan. And as such, I think I want to come back and look at these three core truths that we talked about at the beginning. First, we see God's sovereignty gives us confidence to trust and obey him. Today, if you are here, I hope you take away from this passage that you see God is completely in control. There is no circumstance or situation which God does not have control of. There is nothing that takes God by surprise. There is no doubt or question you can bring to him that catches him off guard. Moses showed us that. God is completely in control. And as such, we can then have confidence to trust and obey in him. Why? Because he's not just totally sovereign. He's totally good. He's a good God as well. If God was just sovereign and we didn't have anything to point us to his goodness, then we could be right to be fearful, to be mistrusting, because he would be a divine tyrant that any time could turn on a whim. If God was just good but not sovereign, what would that do us? He would be fighting and maybe losing sometimes because he's good, but he doesn't have the power to follow through with his plans. But what we see from the testimony of Scripture is that God is both good and totally sovereign. And as such, we can trust in him. This confidence leads us out of a self-confidence to a God-confidence. It puts the focus back on God. It took Moses a long time to see this, but eventually he gave up his illusion of control in his life and his self-confidence, and he replaced it with a firm God-confidence. And then we see the rest of the story, what God does in and through him. He used him mightily. We all have access to the same God. The same sovereign God is control of our circumstances, our situations today. And just as today, there is no power, there is no evil in the world that can withstand God. He is in control. He is sovereign and he is good. We can trust him and have confidence to obey him and walk faithfully after him. Second, we see... As we've said, that evil and darkness are real, but they are limited. As such, we are free to worship God now. Do you see this? I was reflecting on this and struck by the continual cry of God's people to let them go to worship God. And they deserved to be set free. God desired them to be delivered, and he followed through with it. He did deliver his people. And yet, God did not cease to be God in the meantime. 
God was still receiving the praise due his name all the while they were in bondage. Why? Because the evil, though it was real, the suffering, though it was real, the heartache, though it was real, was not ultimate. God was still in control. God was still good. And so the evil was ultimately powerless. And as such, there was freedom to worship God now. And this is true for us today. We do not have to look far to see the evil, the reality of evil and darkness in the world. It's within and it's without. But... By God's gracious gift, by the display of his power and the deliverance of his people, we see we are free to worship God now. Walk in this freedom. Be encouraged today. Do not put back on the chains of bondage, no matter your circumstance, your situation. No matter what is going on around you, God is good, God is control, and evil is not ultimate. Worship him now. And this leads us finally to see what we've said. God most clearly reveals himself in and through Jesus on the cross. So let us cling to the cross of Jesus. Today I pray you would leave this place running to the cross do you see your need sin is real it is crouching at the door it waits for you it desires you satan is real he's like a roaring lion he's coming after you he seeks us to devour the evil in the world is real and the consequences are real because sin will be judged the wages of sin is death on our own we cannot make it But God has made a way when there was no way. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see the gospel's connection here? God has always been working from the beginning through the very end of the story that we've already seen. He is working for the renown of his name through the redemption of his people. God desires each and every one of us to know him to live with him and to make him known. Today, that offer is there for you. If you are here today and you are walking with Christ, praise God. Be encouraged and strengthened in the goodness of God and continue to grow in faithfulness and obedience to him and continue to come back and cling to the cross. And today, if you are here and you have not yet received this message, You know you are in need of a Savior. Hear the goodness of God today. He is calling out to you. What are you waiting for? God reveals himself through divine judgment and grace, and it is most clearly seen at the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus took on death, and he rose from the grave, defeating the power of sin and death, so that we could have life with him. Receive that life today. Pray with me now. Lord Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you that you are good and worthy of praise. God, would you be glorified, be magnified in our hearts today? I pray for every heart here, God, for every single person. God, you know their need. 
You know exactly where they're at. Just like with Moses, you know the exact need, and I pray you would meet them at that point of need, God. I pray, God, that you would help us to look to the cross and see the reality of sin and of evil and the weight of sin, but also to remember your graciousness and goodness for us in and through Jesus. Help us to rest in that grace today, God. Let us be encouraged. Let us be challenged to draw near to you. And God, would you continue to do the work that only you can do and use us, God, to be a part of that kingdom work. We thank you. We love you. We praise you now. In Jesus' name, amen.